everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Risk Cheese Radio Podcast. This is episode 22. I'm one of your hosts, Schmidt, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Brodinky. Bro, what's going on, my friend? Uh, not a whole lot. Back to work this week. We are recording on St. Patty's Day, so I am enjoying a libation while we are recording here. Um, as you should. I hope, every, as you I hope should. everybody else is, too. Uh, I, ha- I had a busy night. Uh, now that I'm back to work, it's... All the holidays are big catering events, so yeah, for sure, 200, for sure. Two hundred people worth tonight. Tons of corned beef and such, but uh, you know, I persevered. I'm here, ready to go. Everybody How about go. you? A little good, man. Uh, things are back to normal. Uh, not only am I back recording an episode, I'm back with full voice. Ah, so yeah. uh, no more skipping weeks of voice and all that stuff. So things have been good. Just been very, very busy. Um, but hey, finding time to to record a, a podcast episode. We do have a friend with us here tonight who we will introduce in a moment. A good friend of mine who I've known since, gosh, I must have probably been in the, maybe even in the hundreds of followers at this point. I don't even know if I broke a thousand yet. But regardless, I I made friends with the gentleman joining us. His name is Akbar. He is the proprietor of Le Sablier Watches. And, uh, he and I sort of just hit it off, and I guess we have the same kind of degen sense of humor. So uh, we've been friends ever <laughs> since, and we, we've hung out a few times and stuff. And uh, we kind of always talked about him coming on. So Akbar, say hi real quick. Hey guys, my name's Akbar. As Berdinki mentioned, I uh, you know I'm the proprietor of Le Sablier Watches, uh, and uh, I was around for you were around 400 followers when I started. Oh boy. 400 I was one of the the ogs on your page that's a day one that so, yeah for sure yeah i've i've always been into watches since i was a kid as long as i can remember i was always into watches um and you know a few years ago i decided to start my own brand and you know aside from collecting and buying watches i still do that you know i don't only wear my own brand's watches but i i like to think of myself more as just your average watch guy who also happens to own a brand sure that's cool. That's great. So Absolutely. we're going to get more Absolutely. into that and a lot more about microbrands today. Yes. Before we do, I'm sure everybody who knows Schmidt is dying to get his takes on the Omega releases. No, he no, 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 no. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Oh, come I on. I, 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 there are people in our inbox who are like, did you see this? Have you seen this? What do you think of this? So real quick, before, without making this an entire episode, let's just run sure. down. I'll throw them at you. We'll hit it real quick, right? Okay. First of all, all right. green 300-meter uh, diver. Fantastic. I like it. I mean, I think I think people are really kind of reaching with the whole, oh, this is a Hulk cup. You like, no, no, it's uh, a, yeah, I, I had I had a buddy who um, was, was uh, fortunate enough to be at the press event um, last week for Omega in the U.S., and he sent me some live photos and everything. So I got I got as good of a of a C as you probably can. Um, the greens are completely different. So the Hulk is much more of like a you know like an Irish green or a Kelly green. This is much more what looks like kind of more sophisticated. It's a darker palette. It looks more like an army green or a hunter green. Um, and it just looks good, man. It, it for me, my choice is on the rubber strap. Um, I know people you know love or hate the bracelet. It's fine, but. The watch overall looks really, really fantastic. So, yeah, and I mean, look, you can't put a copyright on a color, right? Like, get lost. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Geo just put out a green diver. Is that a whole copy too? I, I don't think so. You know, 
people are always going to draw those parallels, you know, those parallels. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like people are going to buy this watch. Why? Because you can't buy Hulk. You can't buy a sermon. You can't buy anything. So why would I not want to make something that I know will sell well, even despite all of the the, the Rolex fanboys throwing shade? It is what it is, man. You're just salty because you can't buy one yourself. It's that's it. Period. Right. So, okay. Rolling on that kind of concept, I'll get into the next one, which I do think is exactly what you just mentioned, which is the Aquaterras in the multiple colors. Look, the hottest watches of the past two years have been the Oyster Perpetual line with the, all the different skill sure. colors all over them, right? You can't get them. So yeah. if you're going to get one at a store and keep in mind, and I, I've said this to a lot of people is that these brands don't market to watch enthusiasts exclusively. Some mm-hmm. of the stuff is for us, right? That, yeah. the, the ultra deep is for us, right? Cause they want to pound their chest and they know who's going to take notice. Something like this, this is for all the people who said, oh, these oyster perpetuals look really cool. I'm going to go get one, walk in the store. The guy laughs in their face. And then they say, well, what are those? And they're like, well, that's a similar item in honestly a better sizing. And yeah. it's also a master chronometer. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I, I will say this, you know, just a cursory glance from the Aquaterra drops. It's an Aquaterra. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. It's been in the staple for Omega's collection since 2002, in case nobody knew about the history of the Aquaterra. Um, it's a water, it's a water sea watch. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a sea and land watch, hence the name, right? Aqua water, Terra land. Yep. Yep. It's a watch designed to do both. I will say this. It's really hard to, to photograph these, these watches and get true color um, because from what I saw in the photos that were sent to me, the saturation levels are very high, specifically the, the red dial, which they're calling terracotta. Um, it's almost yeah. when you look at it, it's a bright red, like your logo, bro. Mm-hmm. But then when you turn it on the side, it's a red orange. So it has this dynamicism of color that you don't see in something like a coral oyster perpetual. Why? Because those are literally just painted dials. Like the color is the color. It's flat. It's not very sexy. It doesn't have any light play. It is very stale in my opinion. Is it look good? Sure. But is it inviting to the eye? No. These new Aquaterras from what I saw look amazing the dials are fantastic i i think the green is better than every single oyster perpetual color blue whatever you name it i think it's got all of them beat this green looks awesome well and i and i heard i heard rumored that the uh the the aquaterra green it's a kind of like a lighter shade of green um reminds me of the grand seiko green from those limited editions that came yeah out. Yeah, yeah, yeah but i also yeah. heard that there was a rumor and i don't know if this is you know this was hearsay so i'm not going to say this is definitive but uh, I heard that this is a similar shade to the 5711 green because the dial manufacturers are, in fact, the same. Oh, don't tell Greg Powell, please. I, 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 that's, that was the rumor. Again, I wasn't there. I was not access to press. So I, that, that is 100% a rumor. But, but I, will give them, seems... I, will, I will give them this. The, the 38-millimeter size was genius because Oyster Perpetual, 41. Honestly, I dislike the proportion on 41 a lot. 36, yeah. I like much better, but it's not for everybody. 38, yeah. I think it fits perfect. The Anybody could wear it. Nailed it. Right. And, and then the bracelets, to... the bracelet is, is also new too. So it looks great. Anybody, yeah. anybody that had a had a hang up on the bracelet, because it was a little chunky for sure. Um, anybody that had a hang up on the bracelet, the new bracelet is is phenomenal. My buddy showed me how fluid it was, how sinewy it is. 
Um, it looks like this is gonna be a home run for a lot of people. So, you know, sit tight. They'll be coming at some point. I'm I'm sure this year. Omega, I can't wait for them to be in stores, but these watches are fantastic, period. Like they they look really good. Uh, ultra deep. I think that's a pretty obvious shot across the bow. At the deep <laughs> nothing, nothing to see here. I mean, that's just, what yeah, that, nothing to see, nothing to see. Um, to see here. Uh, you, you know, you know, my heart with diving. This is, this to me was a out of left field launch for, for Omega, but in the best way, um, the watch is rated for, what was it? 6,000 meters, 20,000 feet. Okay. To put things in perspective, the deep sea is rated at 3,990 meters, right? So well under We're talking like over 2,000 meters less in a watch you can buy in an entirely new alloy, apparently, according to Omega. And it's just a badass-looking watch, period. Like, it just... I mean, the, the, there are shots fired, for sure. And a lot of the Rolex fanboys are just like, their brains are melting out their ears after this watch came out. But again, you know, you set a threshold, somebody's going to surpass it. What are you going to do next? Yeah. That's the question. Moving on, I think I think the constellations will probably go a little overlooked. I like the ceramic one that just came out with the blue. Looks really nice. The ladies models, ladies' models look pretty good. Um, get some interesting color palettes there. Yeah. I think it's an under-the-radar watch. It'll probably stay under the radar, but cool release. I'm going to go... Go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, it's an under-the-radar watch here for the States. Yeah. I mean, we, we know Constellation, you know, when when you think about Omega, you're thinking about Seamaster and Speedmaster, period. Like, that's just what, what a lot of people are going to focus on, especially here in the U.S. You know, funny enough, everywhere else in the world, Constellation is actually the number one selling line for Omega. Wow. And... It's uh, it's funny too. I heard this many many years ago, back when I was still selling the brand. Um, if you take Constellation out of Omega's family and you split it up and create its own watch brand, it's like the fifth largest watch company in the world. <laughs> if you literally take Constellation out of the line for the company and sell it as its own family, like or its own line, it, it's like the fifth largest watch company. That's interesting. So that just kind of gives you the idea, of like the power of Omega and like what they do. But um, I'm with you, bro. These new these new constellations, especially the gents, the 41 millimeters, it looks like uh, that white ceramic. Again, haven't seen it in person, but the white ceramic looks really good. Yeah, and then I'm going to I'm going to tell you the sleeper of this entire drop, which I don't think anybody's talking about enough is the 57 Speedmasters. These are awesome. First of all, compared to the older one that they released, which was Handwide. Or these are hand one. These are hand one. The old one's automatic. automatic. Yeah. And it, and it was chunky as hell. These are almost, so, almost four yeah. millimeters slimmer. Yeah. That's a big deal. It, I mean, it was, a, it was a technological change back then. I mean, you know, back when I sold, I sold the line, we, we carried 57. And that was the biggest criticism. Everyone loved the watch from the top down. Yeah. But as soon as you rotated your wrist over it, you're like, dude, this is just way too thick. That sapphire crystal underneath is just causing a lot of you know wrist protrusion like it was literally lifting the watch up off the off the wrist um the bracelet was very chunky but that was just kind of the design technology for that period um these new 57s they look imminently better um i haven't 
gotten confirmation on this, but the brace, it looks like it's the the kind of flat link style from the Apollo 50th. Yeah. The the links are super thin. Uh, it looks like it articulates much better. Um, this one will have Omega's uh, micro adjustment clasp. I was going to say, I heard extension clasp. Yeah, yeah. It's not much to keep the clasp pretty small, but but it looks like it's going to be included in there. And the colorways, I think the I think the Speedmaster, you know, everyone, when they think of speedies, they're going to default to Moonwatch. And so you have a very limited kind of color palette that's associated with the Speedmaster collection. So I think introducing a burgundy or a green or a new kind of blue in there will really kind of shake things up. And for people that have been on the fence about getting a Speedmaster but don't want a Moonwatch, I think this is a home run. It's manual wine. Meta certified, um, broad arrow. It just it looks good, and it has a date. So I don't know, man. I think uh, I think we got a sleeper here for sure. Yeah, and then the creme de la creme of this drop for me are the two gold speedmasters. I mean, you have a gold panda, which is dope, and then you have this greenish hue situation, which yeah, I almost laughed. I saw some people compare this to the quote unquote john mayer daytona yeah the, i was like are you that's not even close yeah because it's gold and it has a tinge of green yeah for sure and and again there's gonna be there's gonna be fanboys out there that are you know that are on that hype train it's like oh it looks like rolex we're copying everything you know you can't get it so we're just gonna make the same watches it's fine if you want to believe that um greens are completely different so the john mayer this green is barely is like a green very, yeah, it's a very <laughs> vibrant green from what I saw, the photos on the on the Moonshine um, Speedmaster with the green dial, it's a very dark green. It's Subdued, almost like a grayish. Yeah. It's almost like a gray green or black green, if that's even a color. Um, so it has a nice kind of like subtlety about it. It's not green until like you see it like right in the sun, according yeah. to my buddy. So um, that's kind of cool. My favorite, honestly, though, of all of them is the the Golden Panda on the rubber strap. Sick. It's a very cool watch. And the biggest thing, too, that I find that's very interesting is, you know, again, you have a similar Daytona style to this on rubber on the Oyster Flex. Um, the, the Daytonas don't have solid gold dials. Did you know that? Did not. Yeah. The Daytona does not have a solid gold dial. It is a gold PVD treatment, according to my buddy, because he said that Omega kind of pointed this out, that this particular model is a solid 18 karat gold dial so it has additional like i think he said seven or eight grams more gold than the the standard green dial version so there is a there is a cost association difference there but he said that when you see the gold dial in person it is like phenomenal and it's it's got more weight it's weightier so when you feel them side by side it's it has a presence so um very cool that would have to be my my pick for sure I love the rubber strap. He sent me a photo. It's got like a moon texture underneath it. Interesting. Um, which is really cool. And apparently it will be compatible with the current collections of Speedmasters. So for all you speedy heads out there that have been looking for a rubber strap for your moon watch, uh, the new 3861 Speedmaster, um, this version with the rubber strap will fit your steel case as well. All Get right. Ready here first. <laughs> so that out of the way. I think everybody's satisfied now. Uh, we can finally talk our topic. Our topic is going to be a little something about microbrands. We're not going to get too much into the realm of all of the different brands and like ranking things and such. Yeah. 
But I know from so many people that I've associated with, even personal friends of mine, like IRL, not Instagram, have attempted at starting a micro brand. Yeah. And I think it, there's a little, I think there's a little more to it than people believe. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely not easy. Like I was right there with them, kind of checking out everything, going through the motions, looking at different mock-ups and things. It's like a second job. <laughs> oh, um, in some cases it is the job, right? Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah, if you get big enough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. If we do it right, we, it becomes the full-time job. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So we have our, I guess, firsthand experience with us tonight. And he, he already gave a brief introduction of who he is. But Akbar, let me ask you off the bat here. What sure. drove you to want to start a micro brand watch in the first place, aside from being a watch person? Well, I'll be honest. At the time, I didn't, when I started Le Sablier, I actually didn't know that much about micro brands. And I was actually, you know, I've always been a creative person. I like building things. Okay. You know, and there, there was a lot of times where, you know, in my mind, I pictured like, you know, what a watch I would want to buy would look like. And I pictured something below a thousand dollars. You know, we could all buy Rolexes and Omegas. I, you know, again, side topic. I, I absolutely love the Omega releases just, <laughs> just to add on to you guys, <laughs> especially the gold Speedmaster. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. Any case um, I, you know, I started drawing watches. Honestly, that's where it okay. started out. I was, I was in college, I was in my dorm room and I would just draw, you know, I would draw, I would open up 3D modeling software. Uh, my background's in computer science, software engineering specifically. Uh, and on the side, I had a little bit of experience with 3D modeling and, and uh, digital, digital arts too. So I would pull up Photoshop one day and I would be like, damn, wouldn't it be cool if a watch had this and this and this and this and then before I knew it, you know, I, I just started drawing random watches and then I started out by buying uh, Frankenstein parts, as I like to call them. Often. <laughs> you know, I'd buy the case of one watch, I'd buy a Myota movement, I'd buy a dial and I'd buy a random set of hands and I'd just toss them together on my college, uh, you know, coffee table. I had a wow. <laughs> and, you know, it, it sort of that that was sort of where it absolutely like, you know, this is many years ago now, but. We weren't even a brand there. I was just a guy who was experimenting. Yeah. Uh, I was you were prototyping who... before prototyping, yeah. really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was just a guy with, you know, $50, $100 to mess around with. And, you know, uh, I just bought random watch parts. Uh, Esslinger.com. You know, they have hands. Yep. They have everything. <laughs> crowns. I didn't have a company. I didn't have anything. I was just a dude. Uh, printing, printing out paper pieces. I would tape them onto dials that I would put together like... I would just put together watches on my coffee table and I broke a whole lot of movements doing that. I broke a whole lot of hands, whole lot of no, Nobody knows about that part. It's like, we, we talk yep. about so much about prototyping and the development. It's like, yeah, it's like, I also messed up a lot of stuff too. I don't there, is a, know. there is a hard learning curve. I don't want to know how many parts were in that carpet. Man, <laughs> the amount of string bars, the big thing is crown stem. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Size, oh yeah. Right? When you're, when you're prototyping it, because no crown stem comes, exactly the size of the they're case. super long yeah so i'd just be walking back from my kitchen and i'd feel a sharp stabbing pain in my foot and great i'm getting impaled by an internal crowd stem from there you go. 8215 like yeah yeah you know uh my my college apartment and my college dorm were a very interesting place to be 
Yeah, for sure. It's almost it's almost kind of like the the skunk works of of prototyping. It's just like get a bunch of random stuff together. Here's a here's a finite amount of money, and let's just see what we can throw at the wall and see what sticks. And that's kind mm-hmm. of that's kind of what the best creative development really comes from. Is just like just reckless abandon, running full steam ahead, not letting anything stop you or drag you down, and really trying to come up with something that's unique and special. Exactly. And that was the big thing. Like from there, I moved on to doing some 3D printing and, you know, I didn't have a 3D printer. I didn't have like any of the tools to do this, but, you know, my college that I went to, they had a 3D printer and there's a multiple websites that'll let you 3D print something. So I would just order cases and movements and hands and try to put them all together. And uh, that's sort of where it started. I, I 3D printed a watch and somebody was like, dude, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. you could sell those. And I, the first thought that went through my mind is like, I love watches. I've collected, bought, sold, everything. I've been an absolute watch idiot savant, but I'm not a watchmaker. You know, I didn't go to Swiss watchmaking school. Right, I right. wish I had. That would have been a dream of mine. But I was in school for computer science, you know, and I, I was like, I didn't know if I could sell a watch that I made with my two hands at that point and sure. uh, be able to charge money for it. So that's when I started looking into, I'm like, maybe I can actually make a brand. And that's sort of where the whole germination for Le Sablier came from. That's actually a cool story. Like, I like that I so much it. better than like the, I once knew a person in my family tree that I didn't really know who was into diving. And so I made a micro diver, which is exactly what everybody else did. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the other thing too, it's like, it, it's, it's an honest take. It's a, yeah. it's a nitty gritty take. It's like, sometimes right. what we do is not always the most glamorous. Sometimes yeah. how we do things isn't the most romantic, but it gets the job done because our dedication and our passion really comes through. And that's something that that's cool. For me, I, I know exactly what that was like. I mean, I was in college at the same time, messing with watches. And back then I was uh, I was apprenticing to, to do watchmaking school, which never panned out. But I was working on people's stuff and same type of thing. You know, you open up your, your college dorm and you got crystals and hands and just like random stuff everywhere and it's kind of like this mad scientist experiment in the best way possible so right i love it man that that story is is right up with me and in my heart because that's we we had uh very similar experiences although i didn't set out to make my own watch friends so that's where you take the charge it was a big it it took it took a lot to build up the courage to do that i was not you know it took many years where i was like i I honestly i had no idea how to get into this when i started i had no experience i was just a guy who liked watches and i was just a guy with photoshop cc installed on his computer and um, (laughs) the cheapest off-brand 3d modeling software you could think of you know like i i was just a dude who loved watches and at one point i was just like you know what if people like what I'm making and I like what I'm making, I might as well do something, do something with it, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's sort of where it started. I love it. It's very, uh, it's a very Zuckerberg and friends trying to meet chicks on the internet type of story <laughs> that snowballed into something else. And now it's Facebook, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's fun. I mean, that, that's, that's honestly a great way to, great way to put it. <laughs> It's true. And like, I'm going to share with you guys, like the positives and the negatives, you know, like everybody has, you know, their story. There's many micro brands out there that just started and just made it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm not one of those. And I'll be honest about that. Like, I'm willing to share exactly what I went through to start it, good and bad. 
Uh, and it didn't happen on the first try for me. Like I had to, uh, you know, keep, keep working at it. So what, what exactly goes into starting a micro brand, speaking of which, because although I was privy to a lot of that, I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't see the A to Z completely. Yeah. So the real thing, uh, you know, at, at a very basic level, you need an idea and you need somebody to execute that idea. So the idea is the easy part. If you're creative and if you're into watches, you know, I'm sure Rodinke and Schmidt, you guys have all sorts of ideas for, for what watches you want to make. And the, the, the thing that a lot of people don't know is you don't even need a design to start. I'm not like that. I'm a big, I, I like to design things. So I came up with the design and everything before. But truly, if you want to start a brand, you, the only thing you really need to start out with is a manufacturer. Okay. And okay. you uh, got to look online. And I'm also here today to dispel the notions against China. Everyone assumes Chinese made is, they, there's always a negative connotation in terms of Chinese sure. made. Yeah. But if, but if you see some of the stuff that comes out of China, I'm not allowed to share specifics, but let's just say my bracelet manufacturer makes bracelets for Swiss brands. And I'm not talking oh, about Swiss oh, for sure. brands. Swiss for sure. brands. Not Swiss yeah. movement. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. proper Swiss brands, you know, and like, like they know what they're doing in China. Obviously, you can hire somebody to make you an 80 cents watch in China, you know, yeah. that, but you can also hire somebody to make you a $1,500 per unit watch in China too. There's levels to it, you know? So um, I looked at China to begin with because I was going to start a micro brand. And uh, in my mind, I knew a lot about China. You know, I, I, I grew up overseas. A lot of people in the country I grew up in, they do international business and a lot of them use China for their businesses. And I already knew that, you know, this sort of negative connotation against China is not really based off reality. It's sort of just based off, you know, the notion of protecting American businesses, which is great. I, I'm all for that. But yep. yeah. my point yeah, is, yeah. people don't give China the credit that they're that that's due. Like the, some of their watchmakers are incredible. There, there are watch yeah. manufacturers, movement manufacturers there that make double tourbillon watches. They make uh, monopush or chronographs. They're everything. Whatever you do in Switzerland, you can do it in China. Uh, for sure, it doesn't for have sure. the glitz and glam of saying Swiss made on it, but it, it, you, you, get what you, you get what you pay for. So yeah, I look specifically to start with in China. And the other thing is, this is, a, this is a thing that not a lot of people talk about. But when you find a manufacturer in China, one of the first things they ask you is, do you want this to be a Swiss made watch or do you want this to be a China made watch? <laughs> That's actually hilarious. Because I got that question. Really? Yeah, but our first ever release, they asked us, and literally it was the same case, the same hand, same dial, same everything. It was just they had a they had a factory in China in, in Switzerland too that would assemble the watch in Switzerland. Yeah, and our first ever watch, the Aviator VQ, AVQ for short, uh, had a Swiss movement in it. So they were like, you know, this is eligible that we can stamp Swiss made on it. Uh, but they were gonna basically make everything in China ship it to switzerland and assemble it for there. a final assembly it's, yeah yeah it's a 60 percent rule you know uh yeah, they, yeah. They have to have 60 percent country of origin so in my mind i was like why would i and i got the quotes for both i'm not gonna lie i was curious i was like it's a yeah. made watch let's see what it costs and it was exactly double what the tiny <laughs> watch costs. and i was like do i want to sell this at double or do i want to uh make a better product and not have to pay just for the name for it to be switched. Yeah, because because at that point it's literally just it it's just hype. Words. I mean, it's it's just words. Right. It's a legal it's a legal determination, and 
That's kind of interesting. I that is something that I don't think a lot of people understand. I've never I certainly have never heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. A lot of Chinese manufacturers you talk to, they'll just be like, do you want us to stamps with made on the dial? If so, we have to do this, this and this and we'll make it in our in our Switzerland facility. And yeah. it's the same wow. metal. It's the same. It's the same case. It's the same hands. It's everything. They'll just ship it to Switzerland and put it together. Requirement for that is, of course, you need a Swiss movement. That's the caveat on that. Sure, I sure, can't sure. make a Myota powered watch and stamp it Swiss made. Yeah. Uh, but in that, uh, our first ever project had a Swiss quartz movement in it. So, so that was offered to us as an option. And I said, hell no. I said, I'd rather just make something cheaper and uh, like, uh, not in terms of quality, but in terms of what I'm selling. Cost. Yeah. It's, it's final. It's end consumer cost. That's, yeah. that's less expensive. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. You know, I go to a, uh, you know, I, I, am often at watch shows. I present at district time often, which is a DC area based micro brand show. LA Microlux is another one that me and the Sablier are at often. It's based on the West coast. And people always ask, you know, like, where's this made? And, you know, the people who get microbrands, I say China, they're like, oh, okay, cool. But you occasionally have some people who are like China, they hear China, oh, no. like, okay, Akbar, thanks for your time. I'm going to the next team. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, if you guys knew, like, like, if you guys really knew what, what, what the, well, and, the, and, this the is, and this is, this is the thing too, that, 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 that's kind of the, the, the ugly inside information. And maybe you can shed more light on this, but there's a lot of brands over the last couple of years that have been affected with supply chain issues, specifically as the pandemic is, has hit. And Absolutely. they're, they're not exactly saying as to why they've been affected with supply chain issues, but it's because a lot of their parts aren't actually made in Switzerland. And we're talking big brands, like right. very notable brands. And I've heard this talked about and, and kind of rumored through and it's like, okay, well, so-and-so is having trouble getting their bezels because they're made in Hong Kong. And right. I mean, like, like when did you last hear about a COVID uprising in like Switzerland? Right. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like, okay, well, so it's okay. Get their cases or their bracelets because of X, Y, Z reasons. And, and it's always COVID. Yeah. But then he's like, Oh, it's, Chinese COVID. <laughs> it's like, right, oh, yeah, it's, it's all the factories overseas that are that are making these components that they can't get because of their local restrictions and their ability to work and all that stuff. So it's slowing everything down from that point, which is super interesting. And, exactly. and it's 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 kind of crazy that even still today, major Swiss brands are being affected by this in a way that nobody's really talking about. Right. And like, you know, I don't mean to stir the pot too much, but like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's no COVID in La Chaux de Fonds, Switzerland. You know, yeah. there's no co- there. I mean, there was COVID, but you get what I mean. It didn't disrupt yeah, yeah. the chain in Switzerland the same way. And then again, like, you know, you'll, if you talk to other microband owners, they'll tell you the same thing. Like, you know, we see case backs often, bracelets often with real Swiss brands logos on them. And they're offered to us. Like, you know, I, I, you know, uh, I had a project that I never released. I, I was working on a dive watch at one point mm-hmm. and I asked them, can you give me a selection of different clasps? Because, um, you know, I'll be honest with you as a personal watch collector, I like dive watches, but I'm not your typical, you know, I, they're not everything for me. I like all yeah, sorts yeah. of watches. So, you know, I, I sort of asked them, I said, look, show me a couple options you have. And they just sent me a photo of a box with a bunch of clasps in it. And some of them had some real brands that are from Switzerland that you all yeah, see yeah. people pay thousands of dollars for. 
And yeah, we won't, we like, won't name names, but uh, but they're, I won't they're name certainly names. yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I asked the manufacturer. I was like, "Do you make these buckles, or are these like fake buckles for those brands?" And she said, "No, like they're these are the buckles that we make. We don't yep. do any like wow. fake fake watches." And yeah. there were some brands you'd see them in in ads. You see them yeah. in like in in big stores. Um, kind of crazy. They were literally it's... asking me, "Do you want their buckle?" And I was like, <laughs> <"You don't> want... <laughs> "And that's um, kind of crazy too, because they could offer it to you." So yeah. And, like, what's right. weird though is it like, is there not? I mean, I guess because that brand technically doesn't make it, they don't have the intellectual intellectual property behind it, right? Um, which and is crazy. That's that's the other part about micro brands. A lot of people don't talk about is I mentioned earlier. All you really need is a design. Uh, the truth is you actually don't even need a design. Um, most of the, <laughs> most of the uh, microbrand companies, the, 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 the manufacturers of these watches, yeah. I mean, they have their in-house design team. You can yeah. call them up and you can be like, I want a dive watch, 40 millimeters, blue dial. It needs to have a 316L stainless steel case and a Miota 8. Give me five options. And they'll make you five options. Like, yeah. you know, there's some microbrands that they're not really microbrands. I would say more fashion watches. Yeah, that yeah. they don't even design their own watches you know they're they, they they'll tell you like we have these 12 dials we have these 36 hand combinations we have these 15 case combinations uh that's called oem manufacturing original uh equipment manufacturing where yeah. they have they let you pick out of a catalog of parts you know and they're like that, which yeah, one yeah. Of you want uh, yeah. so some micro brands do that you know they'll or you can some, tell yeah or, <laughs> you can tell yeah, it's like it's like it's like going to subway and picking out your sandwich it's like exactly oh, a little, <laughs> little lettuce little that's cheese, good i like that tomato yeah, that's, that's an excellent analogy that's what it's like so for us we do we don't do that um yeah for sure I, personally we tool everything we make we uh yeah. and that's you know uh that's a considerable expense where we have to be like we want our own case we want our own hands we want our own dial uh, and you have to pay up front for that. They, they make, yeah, yeah, pay. for sure. So what, I mean, percentage wise, when you're starting with this, obviously you're going to have to have some sizable capital to go into this, but like, mm -hmm. as far as like getting things like that, like you said, tooled, what, what kind of percentages are you talking about in terms of deposits or I don't need actual numbers, but just like, you know, is it like a 10% deposit, 20% deposit? Like, what are you, what are you on the hook for as a, as a, as an owner? Well, it all depends on what you're making. Um, okay. Brodinky actually owns one of uh, one of our watches. I do. Uh, he has our Sport Classic, uh, which uh, he'll be able to back me up on this. It's not your usual case shape of a watch. <laughs> you know? it, it's got a lot of a lot going on on it, and we had to tool for the Sport Classic line specifically. I tooled everything. I tooled the hands. Okay. I tooled the dial. I tooled the bezel. There is not a single thing on that watch that we don't have the tooling for, except for the movement. You know, uh, yeah. you know I have to use a Miota movement. Nobody has in-house movements in this price range. Uh, and sure. I would say it was expensive. It was over 10% yeah. to, to tool, just for tooling. And that's not like, you know, most... Uh, and, that's, and that's to fit the movement, right? That's what you're saying, to, to be able to accommodate that movement? Right. So they build it, okay. uh, you build it around the movement. You know, that's yeah, one yeah. thing as a micro brand too, unless you're a really, really high end brand. And by high end, I'm talking 10, $15,000 watches. You can't pick the layout of your movement. You know, you're, you're given uh, a choice of maybe 30 movements and you have to pick which one fits your wants and needs, which one fits your design needs. Uh, so even as a designer, like when I design a watch, 
the first thing I post onto Illustrator or Photoshop is a movement. Yeah, and makes I'll sense. scale it up to real size, and I'll build the watch around that. Because yeah. uh, you know we don't have the luxury of doing an in-house movement. I'd love to do it one day, but uh, I have to base off what ETA makes, what Fleeta makes, what Myota makes. Uh, so you know everything, but everything other than that, especially on our sport classic lineup, I uh, I paid for the tooling for it. And the thing is, when you most kick, most micro brands go through Kickstarter. And yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about Kickstarter. I can touch on that later. But, uh, you know, all that stuff, when you pay for an inventory of a watch, it's due later on. The thing that's due immediately is the tooling. Yeah. So you have to pay Because you can't price. produce anything until you have, like, the tools to make it yeah. now. Exactly. Like even, even the prototypes, you know? You, yeah. you have to pay. Uh, for us, it was, I want to say, over 10% of the entire inventory cost was just tooling. And... Brodinki will back me up. You can see why that's the case on our cases. You know, there's, yeah. there's nothing normal about Le Sablier's watches. You know, we, we don't have, it doesn't look like a regular watch. So, uh, you know, if you're making a more simple watch, you can get away with some things. You know, like you can yeah, use yeah, a for sure. standard case back, for example. That's something I think it doesn't take too much away from the watch. You can use maybe a set of hands that's been used before. But when we made our watch, I tooled everything for that thing. And uh, I had to pay out of pocket for that way before the Kickstarter, way before uh, crowdfunding anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got to have capital even to even start getting these designs really done and off the ground. So exactly. there's a, there's an initial investment out there for sure. And I think that that's kind of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of how the process goes, right? You throw some skin in the game. You decide you wanted to build a watch. Then from there, you create some type of rendering or photo depiction of it based on the manufacturer. And then you take that to, to Kickstarter or some type of crowdfunding campaign to get it in terms of final production, right? Is that kind of how it goes? So this is the exact process, at least for us, from start to finish. I will draw something on paper. Then I will draw it on Photoshop. Um, and I will write up a technical document. I'll say this wash needs to have so-and-so water resistance. This wash needs to have so-and-so movement in it. Um, this case needs to be hardened, coated. Uh, we need a sapphire crystal. We need this sort of dial. I'll basically write a set of requirements and I'll give a design. And my design will be, uh, it won't be a technical drawing. It'll be a drawing of what I want the watch to look like front, side, and back. I'll send okay. it to them. I'll send it to the manufacturer. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, they'll reply back and say, listen, we've had to tweak your design a slight bit. Uh, because we can machine at this angle or, you know, your movement's too thick for us to make the watch this thin. Uh, yeah. So they give basically an updated design pack to you. And they're like, this is your design with the changes that we had to make to it to uh, make it buildable uh, on our side. And yeah. then I have to decide whether I'm like, okay, that doesn't work for me, do this. Uh, so then I sit on that design and I submit them back my changes for it. And then we finally agree on, uh, we, we agree, we come to a middle ground. Usually I push back a lot. I will be very honest, my manufacturers hate me. Like I do a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of stuff where they're just like, do we really need to do this? And I'm like, you absolutely need to do this. One example is all Le Sablier watches have a serial number stamped on the dial. Um, you know, like we got Verdinky a special number uh, to commemorate his, uh, a life achievement of his. And, uh, you know, it's something important to me because a big spirit in the spirit of Le Sablier, I want to make my watches feel uh, unique. Then yeah. you go to Macy's and you can buy any name brand watch there for the same price, but it's not a unique watch. It's a 
stamped out product. For sure. So I like to give the independent sort of feel. And my manufacturer was like, you want to stamp the serial number on the dial? Like, we don't do that. And I was like, now you do. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you do that. And, here, and here's the thing. Here's the thing now. For all other manufacturers, it'll be an option going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, you have to negotiate on them. Like, yeah, first absolutely. time they said, we need to put a, we need to make a stamp for each individual number. And I make 100 watches. So, you know, 25, 26, 27, they need a stamp for each of those. And, yeah. I, and they told me this ridiculous price. And I was like, you can do it cheaper. I believe in you. You know, have a two and a seven, you can put them together. Exactly. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it's not possible. Then a week later, they're like, actually, we can do it cheaper. And I'm like, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. You know, so a, a part of it is, you know, when you're starting a negotiating, yeah. don't take anything at face value, fight with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you have to, I think a big part of it is you have to like fight for what you want to make. They work for um, you, right? Exactly. And you'll be told a lot of the times what you want is impossible. And really that's them trying to lower costs a lot of the time. Yeah. Sometimes it actually is impossible. I'm not going to lie. I was working on a forged carbon watch with a really complex case. And they were like, like, Akbar, we can make this. It's going to break. Like, you're yeah. going to put this watch on your wrist. It's going to snap. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I don't want to make a, a disposable watch. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. There's still know. a quality element that your brand and name has to be associated with. So, so exactly. That's... <laughs> so my point is, listen to them with a great assault. Yeah. So, you so will, getting you Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, bro. No, I was going to say, you alluded to the classic sport. Uh, I'm sorry, sport classic a few times now. Would you say that's your uh, your signature release of sorts? I would say, yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, the current model that we've already, we've made all of them and we have them available for sale right now. And I really think that's what defines what I like to make. And that's what defines Le Sablier as a brand. I'll yeah. be very honest with you guys. My first release was a watch called the AVQ that I mentioned to you guys. And that was sort of me dipping my toes into the microbrand world. I'm, a, I'm an airplane guy. I love cars and airplanes and anything that moves, really. And I'm actually a pilot in training as well. Oh, uh, so nice. I wanted to make a 24-hour only watch. And, you know, that's Ah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you guys like 24-hour only watches. <laughs> I like them. But the truth is, most people look at them and they're like, how the hell do I read this thing? You know, <laughs> especially here in the U.S., uh, not a lot of people in America grew up on 24 hour time. Yep. Right. So I'll be, I'll be straightforward with you guys. It didn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge seller. And at that point I didn't know how to run a micro brand. I didn't have any marketing in place. I didn't have any reviews. I didn't have any sort of thing done. So, you know, I just showed up on Kickstarter one day and I was just like, here's my watches. And it didn't do that great. Uh, so after that, I decided I wanted to make something that, you know, really resonated with me and really resonated with what i'm about and that's where the sport classic came from which is what brodinky's got yeah um and i'm actually i'm wearing one right now but yeah um, you know i sort of think that's going to be the basis of all our future models because that's what we've come to become known for the sport classic and you haven't uh rested on your laurels much here i mean you've got how many different editions with adventuring dials and yeah so uh, another thing with me is I really like independent watchmaking. Like people ask me what my favorite brand is and, uh, you know, random people ask me and I'll be like, Oh, I like Kerry Budelainen. They're like, what the yeah, hell yeah. is Kerry Budelainen? Yeah. Uh, you know, I love independent watchmaking and I love what goes into it. So I like to do crazy things. Uh, one example, like, like bro mentioned is my adventure dial. 
Uh, if you're not familiar with aventurine for people who are listening, it's a cobalt and glass mixture with uh, metal shavings in it. And it gives the, the effect when you look at the dial, it looks like the night sky. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of good examples is Omega has a uh, moon phase speed master with it. Uh, Along and Sonia make it. Um, you know, I think the Patek Philippe Celestial is another example, although it's a $300,000 watch. Um, <laughs> but a little another different, example, huh? we also do an oven baked enamel dial on one watch. And my idea is like, you go to, you, you go to buy a watch for 500 bucks, right? You never see this. No. Like, like you very rarely see stuff like that. And as a yeah. watch guy, I like stuff like that. I like the things yeah. where I look at it. I'm like, somebody put effort into making this, not just designing it, but it, you know, it, it's, it's a show of craftsmanship. It's a show of effort that somebody put into it. Our enamel dial, for example, is just a white dial. You know, if you don't know what enamel yeah. dial is, you look at it and you'll be like, oh, it's just a white dial. But that's what I like about it. If you know what goes into making an enamel dial, you would be able to appreciate it. But it doesn't scream and shout, look at me. It doesn't scream and shout anything. It's, it's just about the watchmaking then. Yeah, for sure. And it and it's and it's traditional watchmaking, right? Like exactly. Tifu and Grand Fu, like enamel processes are are they're old school and right. Nobody has to do them. Exactly. You could use a traditional PVD or CVD or whatever type of technology, brass dial, and it's yeah. gonna be just fine. It's gonna look nice and pretty. But to to do things the old-fashioned way, there's there's a there's an artisanal element there that I think a lot of people miss, especially when right. you're when you're messing with enamels and and aventurine. I mean, aventurine is one of my favorite dial materials. Yes. Like, period. Same here. It is fantastic. None of them will ever be the same. They're unique. They sparkle in the night. It is like, it is an incredibly dynamic dial. So it's really Definitely. cool to see that your sport classic is is uh, is featuring that which i already knew since i had to do all the the research for this but <laughs> you're also i mean you're also getting ready to launch to launch a new model right and we have the the, the chrono yeah. sport coming yeah so we're gonna launch the chrono sport on kickstarter in may and okay. actually you mentioned aventurine i don't have the prototype for this yet because of complications and sourcing but i'm making a version of the chrono sport with an aventurine and meteorite both on the dial and so is it going to be like meteorite subdials or like a kind of like a panda effect? Exactly. It's a reverse okay. panda sort of with uh, the, the aventurines, the, the back plate of the dial. Yeah. And the two subdials are silver white meteorites. So the idea is it's like two planets in space is what it looks like when you look at the dial. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's going to be one of the first ever watches to have uh, both meteorite and aventurine on the dial. And I'm starting it at $310. Like, you know, it's, it's, I, I like to be aggressive with my pricing because, yeah. you know, what else are you going to buy for three hundred and ten dollars, right? <laughs> yeah, like, not, not 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 even a Seiko that, anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. And I'm going to be very honest with you guys again. I have a day job, you know. Like this isn't for me to make money. Uh, this is for me to express what I like to do. This is for me to make stuff. It's a creative um, outlet. Yeah, I have not taken a single dollar out of the Sablier since it started. Not even one US. Uh, I do this because I, I love doing it. And yeah, obviously one day I'd like it to be my full-time job, but you know, I, I just do this because it makes me happy, you know, yeah. quite honestly, you know, is it a pain in the ass? Absolutely. But it does make sure. me happy. It's that, uh, oh. pa passion project people talk about. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I just, I just saw a quick photo on your website of the Aventurine meteorite and it looks awesome. 
Yeah, it was like hard, oh, there it hard is. to beat for it's the like, price point, huh? It, yeah. I mean, for three hundred and ten dollars US, I mean that's insane. And it and it, and again, it's it's a it's a um, it's a mecha quartz, right? The Chrono, if I'm not mistaken. Yup, it's the Seco yeah. VK64A mecha quartz yeah. movement. Yeah, it's a good movement. Uh, which is a beast of a mecha quartz movement. Yeah, I yeah. love that movement. You have a smooth sweeping hand, and it's the core, and it's a quartz. You don't ever have to worry about anything. A lot of people hate on quartz. I'm not a part of those people. You know, I I. I think no, we, I mean, just as, even in the high end, you know, yeah, you have FC Jordans that are quartz and they're great watches. You know, I, yeah. like, there's a space for quartz everywhere. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a, we had an episode fully dedicated to, to, to kind of dispelling the, the, the rumors and everything about quartz. It's just like, right, hey, yeah, there, there is, is it mechanical? No. Is it more accurate? Yes. Is there a place for it in watch collecting? Absolutely. It just kind of depends yeah. on which pieces and, and what you want to collect, but 100% in the quartz camp too, for sure. Exactly. I'm, I'm a big fan. I, you know, a lot of, and one thing I do with quartz as well is I always remove the running second hand out of a quartz watch. I like that I, I personally, when I buy a watch, I hate the click. Like, you know, I'll yeah. forgive it if it's a, a mechanical watch with a deadbeat second, because that's a sure. complication. Yeah. <laughs> but, but on a quartz watch, you, you know, it's just like, so it's so a I, reminder that it's quartz. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So the, the, and I don't think you like really need it. You know, the VK64A no, no. does not have a running second. That's one of the reasons I picked it. I got a lot of hate for it. Uh, but, you know, it's what I wanted to make at the end of the day. No, I mean, I, I think I think the bi-compacts layout is, is clean. I think that that choice is 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 great, especially for someone like me, because that that is a big pet peeve of mine. And one of the reasons why I don't buy a lot of quartz chronographs is just because for me i a lot of them still feature the ticking second or running second yeah. and i i don't need it i already know it's quartz like i bought it so you know right. it, and the thing and the thing is too with that with that ticking second hand it's irrelevant for time measurement it's literally Absolutely. just to tell you that the watch is still running because the time yeah. measurement really comes down to the chronograph hand and then the hour recorder or whatever minute recorder that you have uh, enabled for that function. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really irrelevant. So if there are any other micro brands out there listening, please God, get rid of the running second hand in, in court. <laughs> yeah, it's just, the, the Yama I just picked up had not, the same movement, but that's what I like yeah. about it. No running seconds. Yeah. No running seconds. It, it, it doesn't need it. It's I, I'm willing to pay less money for something like that in terms of like cost, you know, quartz versus mechanical, but if it's done right, and that to mm -hmm. me, it's a subtle change, but for me as a collector, it makes all the difference in the world for sure. Um, all right, so hey, let's uh, let's let's look at this a little bit more. So we got signature release. Well, I think Are, we're going to talk details, right? This is yeah. a very detail-oriented bunch that we're talking about as far as oh, market yeah. is concerned, right? How tough is quality control? I would say both from the manufacturer because that's one, and then also just having to deal with. Let's face it, watch collectors are finicky people. Absolutely. They obsess over the smallest details. And, you know, sometimes it's warranted. Look, the, the yeah. Seiko chapter rings are not good. I love yep. Seiko. It is what it is. But how hard is it dealing with just from the whole gamut there of uh, quality assurance or whatever you might call it? It's tough. I mean, uh, especially in the micro brand scene. You know, when you're selling a Seiko, there's a lot of people who buy Seikos that aren't exactly watch people, you know, or sure. they just want a nice, reliable watch. But when you're selling a micro brand, specifically one that looks like mine, a Listablier, for example, we have a very distinctive look. So people mm -hmm. want something very specific. 
And those are the most uh, detail-oriented people. And I'm a pretty detailed-oriented person myself. Sure. So if somebody complains about something and they're like, this isn't aligned, you know, the business part of me wants to be like, oh, it's within our quality standards. But I'll look at it, I'll be like, damn, they're right. Like, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll look at it and I'll just be like, I, I can't. Explain. So I, I've taken returns before, you know, for many things other people wouldn't take returns for. I've taken them because I, I, I just, you know, at the end of the day, like if I'm selling a $500 watch that is uh, such a small batch watch, you know, we usually are our uh, runs are between 50 and 100 watches usually. We don't make more than that per version. I have to be able to stand by each and every watch, you know, because yeah, uh, yeah. I, I look at them all before they leave. You know, our factory does their own quality control, of course. But, you know, we're a small operation. I ship out of, like, you know, uh, my partner, Mohammed, he's not here today, but uh, I literally ship, like, you know, we store the watches in his house. I, I, uh, <laughs> I ship out of his house. This isn't some big brand where, you know, I, I have an Amazon. Yeah, there's not a distribution center and all that stuff. It's Fulfillment. like, this yeah. Is you, this is, yeah, this is you taking them to the USPS and putting them in the mail. Exactly. You know, I, I yeah. still remember my first ever shipment of the Sport Classics. I loaded them up in my two-seater car. My, my trunk was full and my passenger seat was full. And I drove over to USPS and I dropped them off. But my point, point with that is I look at every watch before it leaves. Or yeah. Mohammed looks at every watch before it leaves. So we do like a final quality control before they before they leave out. Um, and it's it's picky because, you know, there's a lot of times we'll send stuff back to our manufacturer. And they're like, well, it's within our quality control. And I'll be like, it's not within my quality control. Yeah. yeah. But then they're like, you know what? Like we made the watches, not you. So there's there's times where I'll have to take a haircut on it. I'll have to take a hit. And I'm okay with that. You know, at the end of the day, like I want to make a good watch. You know, if yeah. I'm going to lose some money, if I'm going to have to give somebody a replacement watch, if I'm going to have to, uh, you know, uh, refund somebody for it, I'd rather that the person is happy than, you know, people have an image of me as being, oh, like, you know, they don't stand by their watches. Because I do. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's there's what... an integrity aspect there. And that's and it's, and it's something that you get, I think, with a very intimate relationship with with a, with a young brand, right? You right. guys, it, you have to, because if not, you don't have clients to, to buy your products or to consume your stuff. And I think that as brands get continually bigger, that's something that, that gets lost in the, in the kind of corporate machine aspect of and the business of it. I think that's one of the big things about starting a micro brand. The main thing you need is to be passionate and empathetic because yeah. uh, every time I deal with a customer, you know, I'll, I, you know, there are times where I can admit I've done it right. And there are times I can admit I've done it wrong. But the way that I the way that I think about it every time is like I talk to myself. I'm like, Akbar, you're a watch guy. If you were buying this watch, what would you consider a good interaction to be? Mm-hmm. You know, if because I, I own other micro brand watches. You know, I I I've dealt with other micro brands before. I own watches from big brands, small brands, everything, and I try to think about what a pleasant experience was for me, and I try to emulate that. Sure. Um, and you know, if you're a big company that sells millions of watches, you know, honestly one sale doesn't matter to you but for me it does you know i i i only make like less than a thousand watches a year less than 500 in most cases so every watch i sell it means something it matters yeah yeah so i so i try hard to keep every person happy do you have a a specific favorite whether it be a brand or a specific micro brand watch that is not your own yeah, actually, I have a I have a couple that I like a lot. One of my favorites currently is a brand called Direnzo. You all might might know them. Uh, they have a whole line of watches. I think they knocked them all out of the park. Um, 
you know, I believe the owner's name is Sergio. He's, he's a great designer. Love his work. A few others I like. I, I like Haim watches. If you've, uh, if you've met them, they're, they're great guy who runs it. Zakir, amazing guy. Uh, you know, and I like Visitor as well. If you, if you know Phil Roddenbeck, the owner of Visitor, uh, I like things that are different. You know, I, I think I can tell so that. Watches <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That look the same. You know, I'm not going to throw shade, but, you know, there was a certain Kickstarter release uh, about a year ago that racked a seven figure about, and it was a good looking watch, but there wasn't anything different about it. You know, there wasn't anything original. So I love creators that like to make something that has their DNA in it, something that's original, something that's them. You know, so that's why all the ones I mentioned, Lorenzo, yeah. Visitor, Haim, like you can see a bit of the person who made it in the watch. Right, you know, right. That's that's one thing that's important to me. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, watch collecting is about is about celebrating your uniqueness as a person and and all the things that you make and or or that you like and for sure, each one of these brands certainly is indicative of that. It's it's a it's a personal taste, um, but it's good to see that people have the creative energy to to put it out there for sure. Right. I, um, you know, a bit with the sport classic, actually, uh, you know, a bit of the inspiration of that watch was what you guys were talking about earlier. Um, you guys were talking a lot about the Omega constellation and I personally, I love the constellation. I'm a big fan of the Omega constellation. I yep. think, you know, it's not just me growing up in Asia, but you know, that that's, that's a great underrated watch. And, oh, for sure. Uh, what sort is. of what sort of like brought about the inspiration for the sport classic is watches of that era, the '70s. You know, today you only have two designs that really survive from the '70s. If you think about it, the Nautilus and the Royal Oak, both great watches. But what? But I used to back when I was in college and putting all these Frankenstein parts together. I collected '70s watches, specifically I lo- a '70s Omega, '70s Zenith. Just anything weird, anything cool from the yeah. 70s. And I love the case shapes of them. You know, uh, uh, the, the Constellation is a good example. I had an Omega Genève as well, Deville Genève. Uh, then I just had an Omega Deville, which is a square, square watch. And I just loved how wild these watches were. They were just so different. They were so unique. Um, and that's sort of where I got the inspiration to be like, okay, the Nautilus survived, the Royal Oak survived, fine. But what about all those watches? I thought they were incredible. Uh, I, at the time, I owned a 1969 Zenith Defy, and I loved <laughs> wearing that watch. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. It would be really cool if this came back. And, and it did. That, <laughs> guess, well, yeah. And it did, yeah. They, could, yeah. they couldn't hold it back for long. It finally came back in the, in the vintage reissue version. And before they did that, there was me sitting there like, you know, I was like, I really like this watch. What if I could make something that, you know, reminded me of it, but it was new. I, I brought the design into the 21st yeah. century. Uh, people always ask, they're like, oh, your watch looks like the Royal Oak. And I'm like, I, that, that always annoys me. I'm like, it is not, it is far from a Royal Oak. I get you have a geometric bezel, and all that, you know, there are similar things, but it's more of the era than it is of a specific timepiece of that correct. era. Correct, correct. I mean, yeah, that's just, that's, that's, uh, that is not a great association. It's just, that's a, that's a little bit yeah. of a stretch for yeah, sure. I mean, your designs, your designs yeah. are, I mean, and, it's like, yes, you have an integrated bracelet. And? Yeah. <laughs> that's, and then what else, right? Like, yeah. I yeah, exactly. The bezel. Like, I can name you nine other watches that have the same thing, you know? And a lot of people who know me ask that, especially because I do have a Royal Oak. They're like, oh, did you just, uh, you know, like, 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 look at them side by side and tell me they're the same watch. Like, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. 
it's it's not it's not anywhere close to to the same for sure. Now, along those lines, have you ever felt like you've had to tweak or modify something, a design or a specification to fit, I guess, the market of what people usually look for? I mean, I rag on a lot of people all the time. I need 200 meter water resistance. I need anti-magnetism. Like, is there anything you had to, you feel like you had to cave on in that regard? Man, that's an incredible question. And I think a big part of that is I have a big bit of backstory. I have really tiny wrists. I have like a 6.5 inch, like I have like a chicken wrist. So <laughs> I like to wear, make watches that wear a bit smaller, but you get a lot of lash, uh, backlash on, on that. People are like, I want a watch that wears like big, you know, I want a 42 millimeter. I want, um, you know, so on and so forth. So that's, that was a struggle for me because I wanted to make, for example, with the sport plastic, I wanted to make something that would fit my wrist, but would also fit people with normally sized wrists. <laughs> So, you know, I, I had to work a lot to get the size right. Like with our upcoming Chronosport, it has the numbers you want. You know, it has a 41 millimeter case for the people with a bigger wrist, but the lug to lug is smaller to accommodate yeah. people with wrists like mine. Okay. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I would love to make a 38 millimeter watch or even a 36 millimeter watch, but I just can't, you know, uh, I, I'd love to do it, but I, I, at the end of the day, I can't make something. I can't spend you know, a, a five digit amount on tooling. I can't spend all this money making a watch if nobody's going to buy it. You know, I, yep. I, it is a passion of mine, but I'm not trying to throw money away at the end of the day. Right, right, um, right. So there are things I have to change. Um, and I, I listen a lot. You know, I, I try to, you know, I, I, a lot of micro brands, what they do is they crowdfund their designs. I yep. don't do that. I, I make everything myself, but I listen to people's feedback. You know, people will say, I'll have a review and somebody will say the crown is too small, but I'll think about it. I'll be like, yeah, maybe it is too small. And then I'll change it. Uh, but that, that brings back to me to the logistical side of it, where there's some things that you just can't change. Like when you tool a case, that's it. You know, if you want to change yeah. something, you have to pay the tooling fee again. And yeah. actually that's what I'm doing with my upcoming watch, the Chronosport. I'm paying the tooling again because I wanted a brushed case side. And um, the manufacturer gave me a sandblasted side on the case. And they were just like, oh, well, if you wanted it brushed, you have to make the crown guards a separate piece from the case. Uh. And I was like, you could have told me this five months ago, <laughs> but you chose to, to tell me now. At that point, I just have to eat it, you know, because I, I yeah. want that. I want that, so I'm going to have to change it. And I already know, before I even ask people, I know people want a brushed side on the case. Yeah, you know, um, and I, I did have to watch out for review, and you know, I, I turned out I was right. People did want that, so that's not just people. That's also this time I'm in agreement with the people, you know. So I'm just gonna take yeah. the hit of that, and you know, I, I just have to send them the the wire but, tomorrow. But that's that. but that's in but that's integrity, man. I mean, it's like sometimes like you get to that point where you have the crossroads, and you could have basically said, you know what, creatively, this isn't what I want to do, but we've already built yeah. it. I'm not gonna eat that cost. Let's go to production like it is what it is. And, and you know, it's it's refreshing to hear brands that, like yourself who are really focused on delivering the right product to the end consumer. Because at the end of the day, it would be very easy to say, you know what? Hey, screw it. Like, let's go. Let's let's yeah. we've already built it. We've already I've already made the investment. Like, let's just go to production. You know, nobody's going to notice it anyway. And, right. you know, that's there's a lot of integrity there because at the end of the day, nobody would know. Nobody would know that that wasn't your creative choice. It would just be what, mm-hmm. what the manufacturer ended up doing. So I have a lot of respect for that and, for sure. 
that's 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 integrity I, for sure i appreciate that and sometimes you know you hear news that you don't want to hear as a brand owner yeah. like our, our sport classic lineup um we delayed delivery because uh our kickstarter campaign was june july 2019 and our delivery was going to be six months after that six months after that was december 2020 which was the beginning of COVID. Yeah. And our yeah. manufacturer messed some stuff up and I had to make some changes to the watch. You know, for example, Berdinke, he has the cobalt version. Yes, Originally, sir. it was supposed to have a silver movement in it, uh, but I had to put a gold movement in it because uh, there was just no inventory for silver movements. And I, ha- I came to a crossroads where I was like, all right, my manufacturer was like, you can wait until we eventually get silver movement or you can send them now with a gold movement. So I reached out to all my people, all, all the people who backed it on Kickstarter. And I was like, look, I'm making the decision here. Uh, you're only going to see it on the case back. And I hate to do this, but I'm going to give you the gold movement because otherwise you'll have to wait another six months. And at the end of the day, most people were cool with it because I communicated with them. And I was like, look, yeah. I don't even want to do this. Uh, yeah, but, it's, it's out, but it's out of your hands. And at least you're, you're transparent with that message. People right, respect you know, that for sure. And, I think that's the big thing. You know, you just got to be straightforward. You just got to be honest, especially on the Kickstarter front. A lot of people have had bad experiences on Kickstarter. It's just a fact. You know, I, I, uh, I just, I've met as many people I've, as I've met that have had great experiences on Kickstarter have had bad experiences on Kickstarter. Yeah. So you have to build like the trust for that. Um, and, you know, I, I honestly think I could have done better, you know, last time I did it and I aim to do even better this time. Because I always like to put myself about. in the shoes of it, where I'm like, if I was here waiting for a watch, I don't want to go weeks without communication. Yeah. Uh, the, the sad part is sometimes you can't help it. You know, you're waiting yeah. for something, your manufacturer doesn't respond. What are, I can't just go on Kickstarter and be like, yeah, I'm still waiting for the response, you know? So uh, there's some not so pleasant parts about it, but I think it's just uh, important to be straightforward and clear with people. Um, and that's, really like how you succeed i mean you can't just uh lie to people and not give them what they paid for at the end of the day it's their money yeah, you're making absolutely. it's not your own so it's very true it's it, it, it's right it is not your money it is somebody else's money yeah um let's see here so with regards to to to, to kind of expanding your brand's presence and marketing and things like that. Have you had any specific challenges or how has it been in terms of communication of getting the Sauvignon out there to the masses? Oh yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a tricky subject. I'll be honest with you in terms of uh, I could do a lot better on my marketing and I'm currently still trying to figure that out, how to get myself out there. And I think that's an ongoing process. Some yeah. brands are incredible at it. You know, some brands are just born with a marketing spirit. Yeah. Uh, just like the seven-figure brand I mentioned last year that took off, you know, they came in with expert marketing. I personally, I don't have a marketing background. I don't know the first thing about social media marketing or watch marketing. So I've tried to get in there. And a lot of challenges are, I think, uh, getting your watch in front of the right people. Because yeah. I can go on kicks, I can go on Instagram, sorry, and I can run an ad for people who like watches, right? But a lot of those people like Rolex. A lot of those people like Patek Philippe. A lot of those sure. people like, and they're not into microbrand watches. You have to specifically target people who like microbrand watches. 
the truth is that a lot of people out there aren't really watch people. They just want a nice looking watch that has a nice brand name. So I think it's important that you have to find the specific crowd that you want. And, you know, I'm always happy to sell my watches to anybody. I want anybody to get into it. But I know the people that would appreciate it the most are people who are specifically into micro brand watches. Yeah. So, you know, the, the channels there are a big one is Facebook. There are many Facebook groups that are dedicated to micro brand watches, 20,000 members, 15,000 wow. members, so on and so forth. And that's just all people who are only interested in micro brand watches. The other thing is review magazines and uh, blogs. And that's the big thing. Um, you know, there are some people I, you know, that are great to work with on the review magazine front. There's some, uh, and then there's also times where you have to do sponsored posts, Yeah. you know, which I, again, I'm not a fan of, uh, but I think, you know, as, like, like put yourself in a brand owner's shoe, right? Like if you're a brand that just showed up and no, like nobody has your watches yet, you kind of need a trusting person, a person that everyone trusts to share about it, you know? And, and so you do have to do sponsor posts at the beginning and it's sort of like a, a necessary vice, you know? Uh, Cause obviously yeah. you're paying them, they're going to say something nice about your watch. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is that, um, you know, they're they're not obligated to be like they they still yeah okay overall generally they have to be kind to you but they still have their own thoughts about it you know they, yeah for sure they're not gonna you know um just praise you without any reasoning uh but what i really like personally is there's some great reviewers out there where you tell them i'm gonna send you a watch at, on loan you're gonna review it tell me your honest thoughts because personally again i put myself in the buyer's shoes if I read a review about a watch, right, and it's like, this is the best watch ever, you know, there's nothing compared to it, I'm not that inclined to believe the review. You know what I right. mean? You know, so if, if somebody has something negative to say about my watch, I'm like, write it, you know? Like, I didn't build the perfect watch for every single human being on 7 billion people on this planet. You know, there's things that you're <laughs> going to disagree with. There's things yeah, that I absolutely. agree with that you won't agree with. There's things that, you know broad might like that you don't like you know there's yeah. things that you might like that he doesn't like you know so write it sure. you know uh that's why i really like doing reviews with people who you know they don't ask for payment they'll loan your watch they'll tell you their honest thoughts and send it back yeah it sucks if they say something bad about your watch it's it's not great but at the same time the way i view it is you at least know the integrity of the person writing it and yeah. whoever reads it they can tell that you know this isn't a sponsored review this isn't a paid review the issue now comes though a lot of these review magazines some of them won't even call you back you'll email them you know they're busy with bigger brands they're busy with uh things and you re you deal with a lot of rejection in the, in that in yeah. that in that that makes sense brand. yeah for sure and again that's that's something that i probably have never thought of but yeah it it certainly does make a lot of sense i've i've reached out to some magazines and they said absolutely we'll review your watch some big magazines i've reached out to others that'll say we'll review your watch at x price and then I've reached uh, others that are like, we don't want anything to do with your watch. F off, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so you, it's, it takes thick skin a little bit, but yeah. you know, it's, it's something you got to do because, you know, I, again, in your shoes, would you buy something you hadn't read any reviews of? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is just Instagram, you know, you, you get, you have to just make sure people see your watch, make sure people like it. 
one thing that you know, other if any other brand owners are listening, they can they can empathize with me on this. Where you get a hundred messages a day from people with twelve Instagram followers that are like, "Let me have a free watch, and I'll show." Yeah, you this to my <laughs> I I see that I see that on even even the big brand stuff. It's just like it's like I'll yeah. be happily I'll happy to 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 take a watch, and it's like. And it's always like little fire emojis. Really? And like... Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. If, if somebody, I, if I feel like someone's influential and they could actually benefit my brand, I'll do it. You know, yeah. I like, like, God, if I, you know. For the I record, I call... paid for mine. Yeah, you did. You did. There's no sponsor going on there. But, you know. like As it should be. As it should be. Yeah. But like, I don't know if one day, like, uh, Eric Wind or someone called me up and is like, I want to watch. Like, I'll be like, okay, like, you know, maybe. You can do but, say no. <laughs> right. You know, but, but I get, you know, all brand owners, we get a hundred messages a day from people yeah. saying that, could I uh, share my watch to your followers? And you, we don't be like, you know, just give me a free watch. If you're one of those people who do that and you're hearing me right now, please don't do that. We don't want any more of those messages. Like, <laughs> we, here's we, the yeah. PSA. This is the PSA point. This public, public announcement. Yeah, it, this, it, is, it, it, this is Lugs and like, Jugs telling you she won't date you. Yeah. Okay, that's a different story. You know, she wanted to watch. <laughs> yes. You know. I, I, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, oh but, no. But uh, my thing is, you know, to, to take it back, like I, we're we're small businesses at the end of the day. Like I can't just yeah. afford to do that. You know, I would yeah. love to be able to give watches to everybody. I'd love to be your horological Santa Claus, but. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't afford to do it, you know. I, yeah, yeah. You see, it's a business, uh, pure, uh, pure and simple. So, I mean, it, it again, it's like this is this is kind of why you know when Bro kind of threw this up there, I was like, yeah, this I think sounds like a great idea because this is a side of micro brands that I think a lot of people just don't know, mm-hmm. and people just assume that like you can sprinkle fairy dust and have some money, and all of a sudden, poof, you have a yeah. you have a watch that's going to be be first to market and, and be and be breaking Instagram. So um I I love it. I think that this is this is uh this is the story is fantastic. And it's obviously indicative of your passion for for not only urology but the, the passion for putting out a, a good product. And I think that that for many people is is lost again with with the kind of the corporate machine and everything like that. This is a human element like this is your this is your hobby project and even despite the, the cost of your timepieces, you, you still have integrity for what you want to produce and what you want to get to the end consumer. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. So I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. And bro can probably attest to this if you start seeing a few more orders coming your way after this uh, after this podcast airs. So no complaints about that. I think a big part of it, <laughs> uh, I think a big part of it is like, I know this sounds cheesy and you've all heard it a million times from your middle school coach or whatever. Like do what you love. Uh, because like if I started like, I don't know, a backpack company, I don't know the first thing about backpacks, you know, when yeah. I, you know, a backpack arrives, I'm going to be like, ah, oh, it's good. Like ship it out to the customer. But I love watches, you know, I live yeah. and breathe these things. So if I get a watch from the manufacturer and I'm like, okay, this is off. Like, I'm going to take that personally, you know, I, yeah. I'm going to send it back because this is something I care about. This is something that you know, I, I really love to do. This is something that I, I, I'm really passionate about. And I have been since I was like eight, you know, since I had my first baby G at like eight years old. Um, <laughs> baby but, G, I love it. 
I, uh, you know, I think that that's a part of like, you know, if you don't have the real passion behind it, like, you know, I just don't think you'll be able to do a good, like make a good micro brand. If you, if you don't yeah. have your spirit, your passion, I know I, it sounds kind of like trite and cheesy, but it is true. Like, that's why the brands that I mentioned that I personally like, aside from my own brand, you see the creator in them. You see like what yeah. they wanted to make. You know, whereas there's a million others that just look like copy paste of other watches. Yeah, Another brand sure. I really like is is Traska. Traska does great watches. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the thing about it. Like, you know, okay, there's a million dive watches on the market, right? But you can see what makes their watch their watch. Yeah. You know, that's they one the of the reasons they had the mint green before anybody else did. Yeah, they did. They did. That's, they also, did. that's actually my favorite color, like that baby yeah. blue light green. It, it's sick. My my AD won't call me back about my OP36, but, you know, um, <laughs> before all uh, that. Your, was, yours won't call you back either? Nope. And I have I have purchase history. But I was going to say, you back. bought some stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but my point is, before all that hype, I really like that color. You know, that's my favorite yeah. color. Um, and that's one of the reasons I like Traska, because they were they just did what they wanted to do, and they made it. And yeah. that's what I try to do. You know, I... I don't have a I don't have a Tiffany color yet, but you know it's it'll come soon. I did do your green dial, uh, you know that you you hear about, uh, yeah. and you guys were talking about Omega earlier. So my upcoming Colonel Sport, there is a green dial version of that. I saw that is and it's it's um it's Arabic numbers, isn't it? That it is, yeah. And yeah, the story I saw about that, that I, I'll keep it short, but I uh, the funny story behind the Arabic numerals is uh, I really wanted a watch that had Arabic numerals, and I went on to you know, watch recon, eBay, Amazon, everything. And I was like, what can I buy for less than a grand that has Arabic numerals? And there are two Seikos. And that's I was going to say, there's Seikos, yeah. Yeah, there's two Seiko Seikos. Fives. <laughs> two Seiko Fives. And there's one or two other micro brands. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make one. And a part of the reason is, you know, the Middle East has such a storied history with watches and watchmaking yeah. that I sort of wanted to make a tribute to them. You know, yeah. uh, the watch industry wouldn't be where it, where it is now if the Middle East didn't exist. You know, the the, the sure. amount that they put into watchmaking. So I that that was a part of the um, you know inspiration behind that and the green dial too. I you know not not aside from green being hot right now. I uh, I like <laughs> green. It's a great color. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty color. I've been uh, I've been seriously contemplating getting myself a green dial as well, and I just don't know what it's going to be. Maybe, it, maybe it'll be a new for St. Patty's. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll be a new Seam Master. Who knows? Yeah, and I do agree with you. By the way, that color is very different from the Hulk. Uh, it's not anywhere yeah. near the same color. And getting the green right is hard. I went through, I think, seven iterations of my dial wow. before I was happy on the green color. Um, so green yes. is a thing you have to work with. <laughs> yeah, I, I can. I can only. I can only imagine. And again, these are all just the things that you just don't think about as an end consumer. You're just like, oh, but the dates at four thirty. I wish they would have yeah. extended the hour marker a little bit longer so it didn't cut the date off. And it's just like, dude, you know how many prototypes I went through to get to yeah. this design? Yeah, right. I had to make a concession. And this is the one thing I hope nobody would care about. And here you I are on, on Autodiki roasting me. Say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Bro, is there anything else you want to ask our esteemed uh, guest? I would just ask if there's any, I guess, advice for people who want to dip their toe into the pool. I mean, I get a lot of people sending me mock-ups and stuff, and I don't know how serious they are, but they're always like, oh, take a look at my my uh, prototype or whatever. You know, Is there any advice you would offer to those people maybe to either smooth their Man. transition or make sure they don't fall flat on their face? 
Man, I, I love that, honestly. People come to me and they're like, why do you want, like, why, I, you know, people have reached out to me and asked for advice in starting a microbrand. And I'm like, look, like, I'm not your Traska level microbrand. I'm not your brew level tra- microbrand. I don't have yeah. that big of a following. But I love that more brands exist. And I try to help people start brands. Uh, because, yeah. you know, I'm not worried about the competition. I think that every brand makes their own product. And like somebody looking at my watch is not necessarily looking at like other, at another micro brand. They want my watch yeah. for my design, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a, a piece of advice I would have to impart is there's a million micro brands out there. Make something different, make something that's you and make something that'll stand out from the other micro brands. Because, you know, there's, you know, I can't even begin to name the amount of the divers there are that look similar or the, or the amount of, you know, regular watches. I, I think like if you put your passion into it, if you, if you do a unique design, if you do something that you like and that you're happy with, chances are there's 7 billion people in the world, right? You're not going to be the only person to like it, right? Like, yeah. uh, so I, I think the other thing is uh, build around the movement. You know, a lot of people will come and be like, yeah, I want a monopusher column wheel chronograph. And I'm like, yeah, and I want a Lamborghini for Christmas. Like, it's like, so you can go buy a Haybring, uh, you know, like, go, exactly. go on with that. You know, the, the, the core of every micro brand watch, because we can't make our own movements unless you're building a 10, 15, $20,000 watch, build, right. find a movement you like with a good layout. And then build from there. Like, do you want to watch with a power reserve? Do you want to watch with a day-night indicator? Um, do you want to watch with a chronograph? Like, find the movement. Figure out how much that movement costs, too. Because, yeah. you know, uh, th- that, that's a big thing. I mean, um, some movements cost 30 cents a movement when you're looking quartz. And some watches, some movements cost 450 a unit. So, you, you know, you, you got you to gotta start there. Um, and then build around it. And I honestly think just, you know, if you have an idea, send it out to a manufacturer, get a quote on it and see if it's feasible or not, you know, do the numbers. Uh, you know, there's some watches where you're just going to be like, okay, like never mind. And honestly, you know, they, if you don't go for it, the manufacturer is not going to beat you up, you know, don't be scared to do it. They're not going to send goons after you or anything. If you decide not to proceed, I have a dive watch model that I've never shown publicly that I never, I, I went through the whole process. I paid the tooling for it. I made the prototype. I have 12 of them, six of them, sorry, sitting right there to the left of me. And I never, I never made the watch, you know? I went through the whole <laughs> yeah. design process. I, I sunk that cost into it. And in the end, I was just like, you know what? I don't think, you know, uh, I, I just don't think this is right now for this, this time in the market. So, yeah. you know, feel free to make mistakes. Everyone does. You know, it, it, yeah. it's just... I think just don't be afraid and make something different, make something interesting. And the other, the last piece of advice I would say, follow the microbrand groups on Facebook. Those are the, that's the biggest thing because these are people that only like microbrands. Um, you know, these are people that you can sort of get your finger on the pulse and figure out what people like these days. I, right, I'm all right, for right. making your own design, but you have to make something that somebody wants, you know, like uh, you, you, you can't make, uh, you know, $50,000 tourbillon watch, uh, you know, if nobody's going to buy it, right? You might want to make a $50,000 tourbillon watch. Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty cool, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be out a lot of money if you just decide to make a bunch of those. So sort of figure out what people like, what's hot on the market, what, um, you know, and then do your own expression of it. That's a big thing. You yeah. have a lot of 
homage watches in the micro brand world. You have a lot of homage watches in the non micro brand world too. In, in general, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you know, the, some people are into that. I'm not really into it personally. Uh, but you know, uh, just figure out what you want, get into your lane, and make it. I love it. I think that's great advice. I, I think people I, are really going to appreciate the, I guess, the transparency. I think, I think opacity is something that plagues this whole industry in general. Yes. Right. So I, th- I think that people are going to really appreciate that whole level of transparency and honesty that uh, you kind of laid out here tonight. Well, the way you, the I way it. I see it is, you could spend ten thousand dollars and buy a sub at retail if you, well, if you got a sub at retail, you could spend ten thousand to buy a sub that's at retail. That's the big if, yeah. Or you could start your own watch brand. You know, like like the the it, it, it all depends it's not as expensive like with things like kickstarter out there you don't need to have you don't need to just have like you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars around. yeah like you just gotta have the you gotta have what you're ready to put into r&d and try something if it fails it's not the end of the world you know just i'm saying okay obviously if it's the only t- like ten thousand dollars you have to your name maybe then don't do it but <laughs> if, if you have that money to spend like then go for it i mean yeah you might fail but you might not you might be able to get something out there and that's sort of the whole thing have fun with it yeah i love it i love it and people can find you i know on instagram at lesablier.watches yep and And you got a website yeah it's just lesablierwatches.com awesome Um, you know we got a mailing list there for upcoming watch uh, the Cronus Sport, like I said, it's going to come out probably on Kickstarter end of May, early June. Um, we're going to launch that at $265, 310 for the Aventurine version. Nice. That's, yeah. that's actually one more piece of advice. Be aggressive with your pricing. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you're starting out as a new brand, it sucks. because You got to get I'm, out there. Yeah, I'm not making like, I'm barely making any money on this. But, you know, you get the brand out there, you get the name out there. That's what's important. I love it. I love awesome. it. I love every awesome. bit of it. Ladies and gents, Akpar Sitar, proprietor of La Sablier Watches. Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. I think it's been Thank great. You. I don't know where the time went. I just looked at the clock. Um, yeah. But I think people are really going to enjoy this one. I think when they see, a lot of times they'll see a brand or an interview or something come up in like the subtitle of the episode, people kind of roll their eyes and they're like, ah, here comes the sales pitch or right. this is going to be just ho-hum, let's go through your models, da-da-da. But I think this will be kind of a fresh take for people, which is, I guess, something we like to do on this show. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, thank, thanks for joining us. It's been great. And uh, yeah, hopefully when you come up to New York, I'll be free and we can uh, link up. Sounds good. And thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, there's nothing better I like to do than talk about watches. So, you know, um, this was just as fun for me. Awesome, awesome, man. Awesome. All right. On that note. 22 in the books, ladies and gents. Take care, guys.